Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson. Tonight, our guest is Captain Matt Yablonski from Wet Net Charters. And Matt, thanks so much for joining us this evening. You're welcome, Chris. Thanks for inviting me and uh, glad to be here and let's talk some fishing. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, we've really been enjoying this series here. I think you're the fourth or fifth guy we've had on, and uh, we've really been enjoying this. First off, tell us a little bit about you and your charter. Um, I've been, uh, I'm a captain My I'm out of the Niagara area. Uh, I started out in a smaller boat, 21-foot lawn, working the Niagara bar, and this I'm going into my 16th year. I picked up a new boat three three seasons ago. 29-foot blackfin, so I've upgraded a little bit. It's a bigger boat, nicer, and a lot more room. Um, I do 12 months a year, every day of the year, except for Christmas. I did do a trip on Christmas once, but those days are behind me. Um, I do uh, I do Lake Erie bass, perch, walleye, lower Niagara River, trout, and salmon. But my, uh, my true love is Lake Ontario, king salmon and trout out here out of Wilson, New York. Yeah, so you're and, and we'll talk a little bit more about some of that river fishing and that type of stuff. Hey, Matt, can you just turn me down just a little bit on your on your end? Um, but we'll get into some of that river fishing a little bit later. Uh, first of all, folks, if you're watching tonight, we'd love to have you participate in the conversation with us. So leave a message. Uh, go ahead and put your questions in there, and Matt's going to answer those as we go on here. We're going to be talking a lot of Niagara Bar, a lot of uh, Lake Ontario this evening. So if you've got questions for Matt, put them up there. And just like we do every week, we are going to pick the question of the evening, and you'll get a Fishhawk swag bag with a new Fishhawk hat and some stickers and some other cool stuff that the guys will throw in there for you. So go ahead, drop your comments. If you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook, go ahead and put those in there for us. Uh, Matt, it's early May. You were out on the water today. Tell us a little bit about the trip that you had today. Well, today I wasn't on Lake Ontario. Um, my, my guys were from West Virginia and they love smallmouth bass and they somehow talked me into taking them up to Lake Erie to fish bass. And we had a banner day. Uh, I had four guys. We landed over 80 smallmouth. We had three that were over five pounds. Biggest one was uh, six pounds, four ounces. We were just fishing minnows out of Buffalo Harbor and just had a, had a blast of a day. Yeah, that's something that a lot of guys are doing out of Lake Erie. I know there's some great smallmouth on Lake Ontario and on Lake Erie, but uh, when people typically think Lake Erie these days, they're thinking walleye, but uh, that's cool that you got those guys out on some a bunch of smallmouth, and it sounds like a fantastic day. But what does your typical day here in early May look like for you? Where are you at, and what are you fishing? Well, right now, um, the wind plays a big part of where we go. Uh, just for an example, I, uh, I had a guys come in uh, for four days in a row, and we fished, uh, was it Sunday? Sunday we fished, lake was flat, flat as glass, calm. Uh, we fished right out in front of Wilson, and we only landed 10 fish. Uh, we had four guys, so my limit was 12. We were a little short, but we had over 30 bites that day. With the clear, calm water, they just weren't committing to the baits, and we'd have them on for a couple seconds, and they, and they were gone. Next day, uh, it started blowing out of the northeast, and we were fished in six-footers, and we had our limit early that day. So 
we had to go a little bit more to the west, and then it blew the northeast for a total of two days in a row. Um, come the next day, I took my small boat, and I launched it at Fort Niagara and left the big boat in Wilson, and we fished right in front of the Niagara River, the Green Can, because that northeast wind had rolled the lake, and it was ice cold. So uh, my buddy Vince and Pete Alex, they were texting me, hey, where are you at? And I said, I'm down at the Green Can. What are you doing down there? They were smashing kings. And both of those guys had ice cold blue water and they were just kept chugging west. Ended up all the way down at the bar to get their fish where I just took my smaller boat and went right to the mouth of the river. I was five miles south of where they were at on the ledge and we just had a banner day. So it, it's it's all weather dependent. Uh, we've had west wind the last couple of days. So that, that program I did for two days on Monday and Tuesday or Tuesday and Wednesday, it's not there anymore. All those fish have moved back to Wilson. So. Just got to watch that weather, and it moves them east and west real fast. Yeah, that weather in Wilson, it's very interesting because you've got a lot of different options. You know, you're not far from Lake Erie. You can go and run the river. You've got the bar. You've got, you know, the main lake. You've got a lot of options to go and a lot of places to go, uh, which is really nice as a charter captain. It can cut down on those blow days that you have. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Niagara Bar, though. You brought it up, and that was – Something re we really, really wanted to talk about with you because it's a spot that everybody, I think, that knows Lake Ontario, you know, they, they want to go fish the bar. So tell us a little bit about that piece of structure and what's so special about it. All right. Well, the, the, what the bar is, is it's where all the sand and sediment and gravel has been deposited over the years and years and years of the gorge being cut. So the Niagara Bar is a sand bar. That's what the name bar comes from. And it's about 30 square miles. Uh, out of the Niagara River, it runs probably three miles to the east, three miles to the west, and about five miles north. <clears throat> so that sandbar coming out of the river, the river channel starts at about 85 feet, and it comes up to 20 feet. And that's where the green can is that I just mentioned. We were fishing down there uh, a couple days in my smaller boat. So from the green can straight north to the red can, uh, the green and red mark the shipping lane for the, the shipping. That red can drop off, once you hit 50 feet of water, it drops straight down to 150. It's a, like a, just like one of the walls of the gorge in the river. Uh, that's where everybody fishes, and they call it the Niagara Bar. That particular ledge goes east and west. It's, it's pretty close to three miles, and it's a little bit of a horseshoe. And, you know, it, it, it's got river current coming into it. It's got lake water coming from the north. You've got the Welland Canal water pushing from the west. There's just a lot of activity there. And what we like to say is the bar is either hero or zero. So you go there and you either clobber them or you're, you're searching. It's one of those areas. But when it's on, there's a lot of fish there. Man, what's the biggest challenge? You say hero or zero. What's the biggest challenge with fishing in that area? I mean, you've got uh, such a steep drop there. What is that like running your gear over a structure like that? It's it's very difficult uh, because you can you you can be in 150 feet of water. Say you hook up a fish or two and the boats you know you're driving and you're not paying 100% attention. You can go from 150 feet of water straight into 60 feet of water in, in less than two three hundred feet. It's that sharp of a ledge. So if you're not paying attention and your downriggers are down 100 feet and you end up in 60 feet of water or you've got long coppers out, it can be very, very hard on the gear. Um, 
that's not the zero part I was talking about. That's just the challenging part. The zero part is, is sometimes that wind blows. If you get a hard west, it moves the fish and it moves the bait. And, and they just leave that area. Sometimes river current, uh, so you get a hard wind or rain and the river's dirty. That river water goes straight out into the bar and now it's dirty water. So there's just, it, it's, just a, it's just the thing we say is hero or zero. Uh, most of the time it's hero, but when you go there, um, and, and there's no fish there. It's you, you know you got really got to start searching for them. Yeah, how does that work there? I mean, you've got like you said, you've got water coming from the north. You've got the water from the river. How do you manage currents when you're fishing in that area and kind of try to dial it in and, and something like that, where you've got so many different places for the water to come from, and and just the water is going to react with that structure in that way. Well. If you're fishing the bar, you need to have a fish hawk. The fish hawk gives me every bit of information. Uh, I don't pay attention to my fish finder. If my fish finder was broken and I was fishing the bar, as long as I didn't run into shallow water, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be hurt. But if I didn't have my fish hawk to read those uh, different different currents on the bar, I, you wouldn't be able to catch fish. I've been out there literally when I've been doing five mile an hour on my GPS just to get. 2.2 2.5 downspeed on my fish hawk because there's that much current you turn the boat and go the other way and your gps speed drops to one mile an hour and you're doing two five two eight downstairs so without the fish hawk giving me my my temperature and my speed i wouldn't be successful on the bar at all um, those currents aren't always there there's always current there but those wicked currents show up after a big blow or a storm of some sort and Without the downspeed downtown, you're you're completely lost. Once again, everyone, thanks so much for joining Fishhawk Live this evening. We really appreciate you coming out and, and watching the show. If you've got questions and you want to find out some information from Captain Matt, go ahead and put your questions in the comments there. And we will once again pick the question of the evening and you're gonna get a fish hawk swag package and if you're from canada don't worry we're not afraid to ship stuff to canada go ahead and put that question in the box there for captain matt all right matt the niagara bar is not a secret people know about it what can the pressure be like out there fishing and how do you manage fishing around that kind of pressure well you know it, a lot of guys just fish it during the derbies um like spring dirt spring lock derbies coming up here pretty soon you're gonna get a lot of guys down there and a lot of guys that don't fish it a lot. Um, it, it can be very difficult with, with boats. Uh, I, I, you just have to, it, you really have to pay attention and keep your eyes in front of you. Um, typically you see the boats that you know, especially the other charter captains or even the rec, rec anglers that I know that I've helped out a lot. Um, everybody goes east and west. But a lot of times people want to be in 80 feet of water. 80 feet of water seems to be the magic number because it's kind of, there's a little shelf at 60 and then it drops down to 80 and there's a little shelf at 80 and then it really gets deep. So everybody kind of wants to be in that 80, 100 foot. So it can be, it can be, be pretty treacherous. You don't want to run planer boards on the bar you, because you, a lot of guys that come down through like a 747 with them out, you know, 150 feet on each side. They're taking up 300 feet so they're fishing from 60 to 180 feet of water with their planer boards and nobody can maneuver so those guys get uh they get the horn blown at them pretty pretty quickly so you just got to stay east and west stay in line um if you get into a double or triple with fish 
turn the boat north, get out of the pack, get out of where everybody wants to fish, go fight your fish, regroup, and then jump back in line. It's kind of follow the leader when there's a lot of boats down there. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that, Matt. You kind of got into it there with the not using the boards in that area, but how is your spread different when you're fishing the Niagara Bar compared to if you're fishing other places around Wilson? Uh, well, you know, because I started out as a small boat guy. Uh, I lived in Youngstown. I launched the boat at Fort Niagara, run straight out of the river and fished the bar. So for many, many years, it's the only place I fished. And I've probably got more time on the bar in the last 15 years um, than, than most other guys have in their in their career, just because I would run you know 100 trips a year out there on it. So I, I learned I learned pretty quick how to how to manage it. Um, kind of forgot the question you asked me, Chris. Yeah, no no problem, Matt. I know that uh, <laughs> I live, live video isn't always easy, but uh, just wanted to kind of find out what your spread how how it's different when you're fishing the Niagara Bar right. to fishing other parts in the lake. Yeah, I. I really try to keep my spread simple, um, simple so that I can maneuver the boat quick and easy around other boats, around that structure. So my typical program would be three downriggers, two divers. Uh, if there's not a lot of boats around, I'll throw in a second set of divers. So I have four divers, a high diver, a low diver on each side, three downriggers. Rarely ever run lead core, rarely ever run long weighted steels or coppers. They just, um, they'll drag bottom if you get shallow and you're not maneuverable. So keep it simple and, and is is really good. So in the fall, when there's a lot of boats down there for the fall derby and the fish are staging, five rods, that's all I run. Three downriggers, two divers. If I need to pull a diver in to get around somebody, it's quick, pull it in. That whole side of the boat's free. I can make a turn and go around and do what I need to do. Um, keep it simple. If you're cutting too much water with lines, you will spook the fish on the bar. Doesn't seem like it would be because there's so much current activity, but I've caught way more fish there with five rods than I have trying to run extra stuff. It just gets in the way. All right, we're starting to get some questions here on the Facebook page, and it looks like we got one coming from YouTube right now as well. Uh, Matt Bell, I think Matt, maybe he's going to try to win a derby or something. He wants to know if you can integrate fish hawk data to target a larger class of fish in the month of May? Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard to say, but the, the fish hawk gives you the right, the, the down temperature. So right now in May, the water is not that much different top to bottom. So the, the surface right now is 47 most places, and my down temp, where I'm catching fish is about 43. If if it gets to 42 or 41, there's no fish in it. So um, as far as the fish hawk goes, it's gonna tell you that range where those fish are gonna be. And they're looking for the warmest water possible. Right now, uh, the actual water in the Niagara River is about 48. It did hit 49 for a little while, but it's back to 48. So trying to fish from 48 degrees, which is on the surface, to 43 down, which we've been getting at probably like 45, 50 feet. But most of those fish are up high. So don't fish below 43 degrees or 44, and you're probably going to find those bigger fish. They're not going to be in the cold water. They've been in cold water all winter. They're avoiding that really cold stuff. So if you get in an area where the fish hawk drops below that 43, 44, turn back around and get back into that warmer water and 
you know, all the fish are going to be together. So your better chance to get a bigger fish is just being where most of the fish are at. Awesome. Dave. That's a question that's very similar and you, you kind of answered half of it, but I'm going to ask you the whole question because the second part of it, I think is important. David says, uh, what is your optimal down temp for Kings? Which you kind of already answered. And he says, where would you put your baits in relation to that temperature? I always like to keep one at my temperature. So I keep my probe as my center rigger. And I, I'm kind of a creature of habit. My center rigger is always my deepest. <clears throat> so I, I'll drop it down. And the, it's the first rod in. It's the first down rigger in. It goes in with the fish hawk so I can see what's going on. Drop it down when I get that 43, 44 degrees. I don't care if, if it's at 40 feet or 60 feet or 80 feet. As soon as it gets colder than that, I stop the downrigger. That's going to be my deepest downrigger. I typically will put one diver at that depth, and my other diver I'll put 10, 20 um, feet higher than that diver. My other two downriggers are going to be above that. So I always keep my fish hawk at temp. Um, typically, the fish feed up so they can see up, and you know, the difference between 20 or 30 feet in clear water for a salmon is nothing. Um, you want to keep your baits above where their temperature zone is. So I keep the fish hawk right at temp. So I know when it changes, if it gets colder, I'll know my higher lines are probably going to go. If I start to see it getting warmer, I'll just sneak that downrigger down a little bit so it stays right at that temp. And then if it's more than five feet, I'll adjust my downriggers and divers accordingly. But in the in the in the spring, just look for the warmest water possible and try to avoid the cold water below below the temp you want to look for. Right now, it's 43.44. That's great. Mark uh, last week on Fishhawk Live, and he's got a couple questions for you. He'd like to know, how did you adapt moving from a small boat to a large boat? Well, it you know, uh, when, I, when I rigged the big boat, I had already I mimicked my smaller boat. For the first year that I ran my larger boat, I didn't change my my spread at all. I uh, was running three downriggers and four wire divers. Still didn't run any long coppers or weighted steel. I didn't run any extra lead cores or planer boards. I just didn't. So the transition for me was simple as I kept my spread the same. Um, the only difference was it, you got more room on the back of the boat. You can deal with bigger waves. Um, bigger boat kind of pushes into the waves a lot better than the smaller boat but my smaller boat's not that small it's a 21 uh, foot lun tiny magnum pretty heavy boat it, it fished very well in big waves and i was out there with the 36 footers and fishing in my 21 and doing just as good so the transition for me was simple uh, i just had to learn how to run a bigger boat other than you know my, my fishing was the same but having you know inboards instead of an outboard and you know, I didn't know anything about that. So a little bit of a learning curve just running the boat itself. But as far as fishing, didn't didn't change at all. Excellent. Yeah. From YouTube, it's from BMK. And he'd like to know, or she perhaps would like to know, uh, what is the best spoon for Niagara Bar Spring Kings? And the best spoon. I'm a Silver Street guy. Um, there's a spoon. I'm going to, you know, it. it it's not one of those things that I've tried to keep secret, but over the last few years, it's gotten out. It's a Magnum UV green skirt. I'm going to put it all out there. Um, it's a Silver Streak spoon. It just 
works really well. The water coming out of the river is chalky, green. It's um, like pea soup a lot of times. And the UV green skirt, it doesn't look real fancy. It's got chartreuse and uh, yellow stripe on it with some UV. And it just shows up. Um, whenever the water gets a little cleaner, I switch. And I'll run some, some Dream Weaver Glow Frogs. And I'll also run some Silver Streak uh, Yellowtails. They have a pearl yellowtail and a glow yellowtail. Um, but that green skirt's my early season, early season spoon. And, uh, but I run, I run a lot of silver streaks. They, they seem to work really good for those cold water fish. All right. If you're just, right. Go ahead and put your questions in the comments. And again, we'll be drawing, uh, I'll be selecting a question of the night. The question of the night is going to win a fish hawk swag bag or swag package. And, uh, again, if you're from Canada, don't worry, we'll, Happy to ship it to you. So we want to see those those questions in the comments. And it looks like you guys are doing a pretty good job of loading them up. But uh, here's one from Marty Butchkowski. And Marty would like to know, what's your preference for kings, copper, or steel? And I know you said uh, you don't use either on the bar. But uh, when you're out fishing just outside of Wilson, what do you what do you like between the two there? Weighted steel. I don't have any copper lines on my boat anymore. I've been running torpedo weighted steel since before it came out. I had a couple test spools that Matthew gave me from, from Torpedo, and the first time I ran it, I was convinced that it was better. It may not go as deep as copper, but it's super user-friendly. You can take that spool and, and just spool it right off the reel onto the floor of the boat and reel it right back up on the reel. No twists, no tangles, no kinks. Uh, it doesn't back spool on the spool when you're deploying it. You can just put it right in the middle rod holder on the middle downrigger and just open up the free spool and let it go. It'll go straight out without back spooling on the spool. I'm a, I'm a hundred percent weighted steel. I don't own any coppers anymore. Very cool. All right. We've got one from Arlo Tonks here and Arlo says, I've seen you catch everything, everything from Kings and Lakers on the bar, smallies in the river to walleye on Lake Erie. If you're going to go fishing for fun, where are you going and what are you fishing? Well, I don't get too many uh, fun fishing trips, but um, Vince Perleone and I are pretty good friends, and we try to do, we get his mate Nick, and me and Nick and Vince will go up to Lake Erie and go perch fishing. Try to do that in the fall, kind of uh, mid, late October, early September. Once we've slowed down a little bit and uh, go up there and get some perch, that's my fun fishing trip. I like it. It's something different. I, I dig the perch, too. Especially through the ice. Yeah, they're and they're tasty. You know, you can't beat a good perch fry. That's right. All right, here's one from YouTube. It's Steve Olay. And Steve actually checked in this morning. He was excited about tonight's show. And Steve would like to know if you think the biggest kings come off of meat rigs. Well, I've caught some very small fish on meat rigs. So meat rigs do not guarantee you're going to catch a big fish. Um, Biggest fish ever landed on my boat was 35 pounds, two ounces, and we caught that on a spin doctor and a fly. The next biggest king was 33.11. We won the uh, summer LOC derby with that fish, and it came on a standard size Silver Streak glow yellowtail in, was it the third week of July? We, it was 80 feet down over 100 foot of water, hit a spoon. and the third biggest fish I've landed was 33, 32, 15, and it came on a spin doctor and fly. 
So do all your big kings come on meat? No. You will get a lot of big kings on meat, um, but not necessarily. They will hit anything in the water if you've got the right presentation. All right. Well, go off of that, that question a little bit. Uh, what do you do for meat rigs? What do you like? How are you running them? I, 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 I do a lot of simple meat rigs where it's just a regular meat head and, and a flasher. And I'll run them behind an 8-inch E-chip or an 8-inch Spin Doctor and just run a, run a clean meat head. Um, I, I, I'm not a big meat fisherman. There are a lot of guys out there that you know start running it early in the season and just run it all, all year long. Um, out of Wilson and Olcott, the Niagara area, our fish are typically a lot higher in the water column a lot of the a season long. So spoons work very well down here. And for charter fishing, you're just trying to catch fish. You're not trying to catch um, just big fish or just a certain type of fish. And when you're running spoons, kind of targeting every fish in the lake. So my program consists probably 90% spoons. Later on in the season, towards July and August, I will start running some meat. And I just run a clean meat head, um, four, five, six feet, d depending behind a flasher. Nothing too fancy. All right, Matt. Uh, answer. I got a feeling what the answer to this question is going to be. This is from Christopher Charles, and uh, he'd like to know uh, on your center deep rigger that you track your temp on, is that most often a meat rig, a flasher fly, or a spoon? That depends on the time of year. Right now, I'm not running any flashers. I, I won't. I probably won't put a flasher in the water until probably the third week of May. Just don't need them. Uh, so I'll run a clean spoon. What I mean by clean spoon is I'll just want to run one spoon on my center rigger, on my pro rigger, and my two out and downs. I'll run two spoons on each one of those. Uh, a lot of guys are probably familiar with sliders. I don't like sliders. Um, I have a. I think I have a minor case of OCD and sliders don't work for me because I don't know where they're at in my program. I like to know where my program's at. So I use a little little uh, attachment called a Liberator made by Romer, a Liberator. And it's a little black clip that clips right on the line. So it, it pins that spoon wherever you, wherever you want it. And I typically pin mine 10 feet above the downrigger weight. So I run two spoons on my two out and downs and one on my center. Um, that's all spring. Uh, I'll run two divers with spoons, and that's pretty much all you need on this end of the lake to catch fish. When it, when it gets closer to the Niagara Pro, I am, then I start, you know, I start running some flashers. I'll I'll throw some meat in to see if they want it. But um, I typically, after the Pro Am, I don't run any meat until probably August. That's when the stagers are getting ready to stage and the kings are getting moody and. They're changing from a feeding fish to a spawning fish. That's when the meat really seems to make a difference. That action is something they can't resist. And a little bit of smell, a little bit of taste kind of gets them going. But, you know, most of the season, I'm running, I'm running all spoons and until at least, you know, the pro-am a little bit. And then come July, I'll throw some flashers in. But I'm a spoon guy. All right. Here's one uh, from BMK. He wants to know if you're fishing the WHI. I'm not sure what that is, but uh, you probably do. The WHI is the Wilson Harbor Invitational. Um, I am not fishing Wilson Harbor Invitational. I've, uh, I've I just I haven't fished it yet. I have a team that wants to fish it next year, so next year I'll be fishing the WHI. But this year, 
you know, I'm still going to be running my charters and doing my thing. I'm going to fish the Niagara Pro-Am, which is the first weekend in June. That's probably going to be the only tournament I fish out of this area uh, until Stephanie's tournament, the uh, Real and for a Cure tournament. That's the first day of the fall lock derby. All right. Uh, we'll let this couple more questions load up there in the comments, but I'm going to, I got a couple more questions for you here. Sure. Uh, we've been talking about the Niagara bar and how it can go hot and cold. Your hero or zero there. Uh, when, when is the best time of year to fish it? What do you, what do you think if uh, you were going to kind of point out a month and be like, yeah, that's, that's probably the best month there. What would that be? Well, I'm going to take that question and kind of change it a little bit. The month that I would not fish the bar would be June. The bar is hot in May, and it's really good in July and August. June is a transition month here, and once that river water gets to, to a certain temperature, it floods the bar because it's it, it's a very strong influence. So when the river water gets to the like high 50s to 60, it floods that area, and now there's there's no cold water on the bottom and there's no warmer hot water on top. So the fish kind of avoid that area because the water to me is, it's just too bland. So June is when you don't fish the bar. Um, May, phenomenal. It's their fish are coming in from the deep water. They're being attracted to the shallower water. Uh, the, the attraction is the warmer water coming out of the Niagara river. It's very nutrient rich green water coming out of Lake Erie. That's what the uh, the alewives and the smelt are feeding on. Is that they're all filter feeders. They feed on that green water. So the, as the bait migrates from the deep water to come into spawn, they come right into that river water plume. So May is hot because they're following that river water. Once that river water gets to that mid temperature, then they avoid it. That's when they start moving offshore a little bit, heading to the east. June is June is June is a rough month to fish the bar. Come after July fourth. Now the river water is warm enough that there's enough warm water there that is as, as it rises, it sucks cold lake water underneath of it. And you get the thermocline set up. Once you get that thermocline set up is when the bar will take back off in July. How do I know when the thermocline sets up? See it on the fish hawk. When you get that probe down about 70, 80 feet and it goes from 50 straight to the 30s, you know it's time to start fishing the bar again. So I rely heavily on my fish hawk. I know this, you know, we're we're doing a fish hawk uh, show here, but it's not why I'm talking about it. I'm talking about it because I believe in it and I use it. And when you're fishing the river and your water and you're fishing the bar, there's no more important tool. All right, we really appreciate that, Matt. That uh, help, helps pay our wages and our salary here. So we're, we're and it helps me catch fish. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that you actually took my next question, which was going to be when is the worst time to fish it? So you're Nostradamus when it comes to the questions. Let's go to a couple more of the guest questions. And one of them kind of is is that is about fish hawk. This is from Brian Aubrey, and he'd like to know how do you comfortably and securely mount your pro ball and lure all to the same rigger? Well, the um the, the fish hawk is simple. It's got a it's got a, a metal eye on top and a metal eye on the bottom that's fixed right into that probe. And it comes with the new safety safety chain that they come up with not that long ago. It's basically two uh, two big swivels with a, um, a split ring in the middle, and I, I just be I'm just very careful putting it on and off. Because if it slips out of your hand as you're putting it on the cable, that 
you might not lose the probe, but that's when the, your your safety cable will break. Is if you jerk it when you're putting it in the water, and that that's happened quite a few times. You know, from guys I've talked to, it's happened to me once or twice. So you just be gentle as you put it in the water and try not to jerk the the downrigger cable. But you know, they've got it figured out. It's easy on, easy off. As long as it doesn't slip out of your fingers and jerk that downrigger cable, you don't have any problems. All right, here's All right. A, we talked about not boards on the bar, but when you're out fishing in other places, this one has to do with uh, with the boards. It's from Mark Holiday, and he's got a nice fish in his picture. So I'm guessing Mark does a fair bit of fishing. Uh, Captain Matt, do you use torpedo divers off your boards at all? And if so, what size and when do you run them? Um, I, I don't run torpedo divers off of my boards. I run the torpedo weighted steel, and I've got sections on the boat. I've got a 2, a 250, a 3, 350, 4, and a 450. So with those, I can kind of customize where I need to have my, my my baits. When I do run torpedo weights is when I'm on Lake Erie walleye fishing. It's a really good tool to just clip one on uh, on your lead core. You want to get another, you know, a little bit further depths out of it um, and, and with shorter line out. But on Lake Ontario, I, I don't run the torpedo weights. I just, um, I like to run more of a clean spread when I do have boards out. I'll, I'll run inlines. I don't have any big boards on either one of my boats. With those inlines, I only run one board on each side. So I just stick to my weighted steel. I don't like the, uh, the snap weights. There are some guys that I fish with that do love snap weights, and they like it just because it's less line out. You achieve the same depth with less line. But I, um, I like the torpedo weights for walleye if I'm in deeper water, but I don't use them on Ontario. All right. All right. From Stephen Brennan. And you talked a little bit about this earlier, but Stephen would like you to list your top five spoons. Top five spoons. Uh, well, I've already given you, I think, three of them. I have the UV green skirt, the um, Dreamweaver blow frog, the um, silver streak um, yellowtails. Yellowtails are glow and or uh, pearl. Uh, and I, I, learn, I run a lot of warrior spoons too. I like the warrior salmon candy. It's a UV and it's got green and black, little chartreuse. That is a really, really good spoon in the high sun. It's, it's just kind of basic. It looks more of a natural presentation um, when you're when you're running it. <clears throat> and over the last couple of years, I've switched over. And I'm running some Northern King spoons too. There's a couple out there, the Green Glow Goblin and um, uh, British Columbia Chovy. They're, they're a green and glow. I, I, I like those too. Those are probably my favorite glow spoons. All right. So back again with another question. Uh, he says, if you increase the speed of your boat, does this mean you're moving with the current or against the current is what he asks. Uh, I'm not sure what that means. Can you make well, up, Matt? Well, I, I think I can. I think I might have an idea what he's talking about, about increasing right. the speed of the boat. Uh, when you're, when you're by the river and you're on that Niagara bar, there's a lot of current all the time. So if I'm fishing out of Wilson, the river is going to be to my West. It's 12 miles to the West. So if I'm taking the boat and I'm going West, I'm trolling directly into that river current. So your down speed will be higher because of the current and your surface speed will be slower. So for an example, two, 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 three, it seems to be a pretty good GPS speed going west. Give me like two six two eight at my fish hawk on a normal 
a normal day without any extra wind or wave current because that changes everything. So now you're going to turn and troll east. The waves, uh, the current is going to be behind you. So now your GPS speed is going to be higher to achieve the proper trolling speed down at the fish hop. My speed going east, typically 2.8 to 3 mile an hour to get 2.5, 2.6 at the fish hop, depending on which way the wind blows. If you have a huge east blow and it's blowing east, so now the wind is pushing your boat faster across the surface, and now you still have the down current that's coming at the nose of the boat, things can get really, really, you know, tricky there. So your, your speed's going to be real high on top and real high on the bottom. So depending on which way that wind's blowing, but on a, on a normal day, it's GPS is faster going east and slower going west to get my proper fish hawk speed. All right. We would like to know when you first started chartering a boat, did you think you would be where you are right now? It's, it's, it's hard to, it, it's hard, it's hard to believe sometimes that I'm going into my 16th season as a charter captain. Um, there were a couple guys that I, I watched and you know, admired how many days they were on the water and how many fish they caught, you know, and I said, you know, I want to, I want to catch as many fish as that guy. I want to run as many trips as, as that guy. Well, my motto now is be careful what you ask for, cause you might just get it. So you're um, plenty of trips, Matt. Yeah. Um, so, typical year, I'm, I'm doing about 250 trips a year, give or take a few. So, you know, I'm, I'm on the water quite a bit now. All right, here's a question from YouTube. It's really more for me than for you. Uh, BMK's got a question for the Fishhawk guy. A lot of captains, including myself, leave their probe attached to the rigger, leave it attached all season so it stays out in the sun and turns yellow. Is that bad? <laughs> The, the yellowness BMK is not a bad thing, but uh, what typically happens if you leave it attached to your rigger is other bad things tend to happen to them. So your follow-up question, does it affect the life of the probe? Not the yellowing, but just the, the wear and tear from it sitting there. The best thing you can do is uh, put it in a secure spot. Make sure that you're screw, uh, loosening up the, the cap so you don't get that condensation inside there. But uh, leaving it on all the time usually leads to lost probes and uh, broken stuff. So yeah. I don't leave mine on there. I take mine off every day. It only takes an extra minute. I take it off. I take it off of my downrigger weight. Downrigger weight stays in the back of the boat. I take my probe, put it in the cabin, crack the lid, and I keep it out of the sun. Keep it out of the sun. Keep it out of the weather. It's a pretty expensive tool to replace if something happens to it. So, you know, why, why take the chance of leaving it in the sun and the weather when you don't need to? Always put that sucker away and keep it away from people that might want to steal it from you. Yeah, steal it. Guys bumping into it and knocking it around is yeah. never a good thing. Nope. One of the cool things, Matt, about you that I really wanted to get a chance to talk to you about tonight was uh, fishing the river. And I know that you're up there in the wintertime and fishing it quite a bit. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, that's something that, uh, you know, you can find that in a few of the Great Lakes. There's some good river fishing, but I think that, that Niagara River fishing is uh, – something that is kind of out of the ordinary and i'd love to, to hear some more about that yeah the, the niagara river is a very unique uh very unique place it, it attracts fish all year round uh all the fish that live in lake ontario throughout the the, the, the season come into the niagara river to spawn so when it really starts to, to start to get going in the fall is with the salmon so anytime after labor day you can have salmon push into the river 
So the first fish in for the season, because we don't go by the calendar year typically. I usually start my river season with this, the salmon run. Um, so the salmon are there through September, mid-October, and then lake trout start moving, and lake trout come into spawn, and they start coming in, right? You'll, you'll catch a couple while you're salmon fishing in, in, in October, but not too many. Getting into November, you see a lot of lake trout in the river. They're spawning. Um, you'll find that the, the, the other fish will come in to eat those eggs. So you've got salmon dropping eggs. Some steelhead move in, not a lot, with the salmon to eat those eggs. And then lake trout come in. They start spawning in November. And I know the other fish are coming in to eat the eggs. So you see the uh, steelhead start moving in. The brown trout start moving in. The next ones to spawn are the browns. They usually spawn sometime late November going into early early December when the browns are there. So now you've got lake trout eggs, salmon eggs, and now you have brown trout eggs. Well, the, the steelhead are, think they're missing out on the party, so they start coming in and out of the lake. And then by, you know, beginning of December, you have a whole river full of fish. And then, you know, the, the salmon are pretty much gone by, by the end of November. Lake trout, once they're done spawning, they'll stay around and feed a little bit. They head back out to the Niagara Bar. And now you're You've got the browns. Once the browns start finish spawning, sorry, they head back out to the bar. Now you have steelhead. So the steelhead take over the river second week of December, and we fish those guys straight through. They're still in the river now. You can fish them pretty solid through May. Uh, once once the water gets too warm, the steelhead start leaving. Smallmouth bass take over. They come in and they start to spawn. Uh, it's just a just a, a mecca of, of 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 fish all year long. Um, walleye, walleye spawn in, in late, late winter. Uh, so they're available pretty much any time. They're a little harder to catch because there's so much food, but there's walleye in there too. And some guys that love the musky fish, they, they catch trophy muskies in the, in the river in, in the summertime. So depending on the time of year, you can catch whatever you want there. When you're fishing, fishing uh, the big water fish, the, the trout and the salmon, how are you targeting them? in the river uh, the basic rig we use we call it a three-way rig so you have your main line coming off a rod and a three-way swivel from the three-way swivel you have a drop sinker usually about a foot foot and a half different type of, of weight and it's a pencil lead so it's uh, about the size of a pencil and it's long use anywhere from an ounce and a quarter to two and a half ounces of lead depending on the species of the fish time of year uh, and then you run on the other part of the three-way you run your leader usually somewhere between five and eight feet, depending on the water clarity and, again, the type of fish you're fishing for. And then it's all work in the bottom. Uh, most of that river is rocks, so you just drop it down straight below the boat till that sinker hits the bottom, reel up a little bit, six inches off the bottom, and just try and keep that sinker as close as you can get to the bottom without snagging. And that's probably 90% of, um, of our, our, our how we catch our fish on the rivers on a three-way rig, just bottom fishing. Awesome. It's like uh, tangling one of the, with one of those fish on something like that. Oh man, I tell you what, when you when you get those kings, the kings are fun to catch. Everybody wants to catch kings. Kings bring people from all over the world to fish. And you're in 20, 25 feet of water. You've got you know 15 pound test, and you hook into a king, and it just goes, just buries a rod in the water. Drag starts screaming, starts peeling out. What we do is we fire up our big motor on our boats, pull up our electric motor, and you chase them down. So, you know, when it's hot and heavy, you might see three or four boats chasing kings all over the river. The other guys, you're weaving in and out. 
it's you know something you have to experience. It's uh, you know, it's all about the experience. Yeah, that's something that if people want to experience fishing with you and they want to get out on the water with you, uh, what's the best way for people to find you and get out on the water with with wet net charters? Well, I've got a few ways you can get a hold of me. Of course, you can always call me or text me. My phone number is 716-550-0413. I've got a Facebook page at Wet Net Charters, and I've also got a website. Website's getthenetwet.com. I've got a lot of information on the website. I try to do a fishing report um, every couple of weeks. But, uh, you know, you can message me through Messenger. You can call me, text me. You can email me through my website. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of, and come on out, and we'll get the net wet. Awesome. I want to thank everybody for coming out tonight and watching the show. Uh, Arlo Tonks sent us a DM, and we will get your package out to you. I loved uh, his question. He wanted to know what you like to do when you go fun fishing. <laughs> He's going to win the swag package tonight, so go ahead and send us a private message uh, with your address in there, and we'll get that out to you. But Captain Matt Yablonski, just want to say thanks so much for uh, taking your time tonight and joining us and having a nice talk with us. Uh, it sounds like a lot of fun, a blast to be fishing out there, and uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, hey, thanks for inviting me, and, uh, you know, any of you guys that are watching or you watch it later, feel free to send me a message. Uh, like I said, text me or send me a message on Facebook, and I'll get back to you. If you have some questions while you're on the water, I'm out there every day. Send me a message, and, you know, if I can help you, you know, shorten your, your learning curve to where the fish are, what depth of water they're, they're, they're biting in, or what my preferred temp for the day is, don't be afraid to send me a message. I'm a pretty easygoing guy, and I'll, I love to help. I love to help people out. Well, thanks so much, for Matt Yablonski. I'm Chris Larson. Thanks for joining us on Fishhawk Live. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. For more information on fishing the Great Lakes, visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com.
See you later on.